Support for Full Circle comes from Oak Bay Bikes. Serving cyclists in Victoria for over 80 years, Oak Bay Bikes has two locations and free pickup drop-off service. They are there wherever you need them. Find Oak Bay Bikes online at oakbaybikes.com. You're listening to Full Circle. I'm your host, Jordan Barron. In this series, we feature stories from the greater Victoria area that speak to what really matters to Vancouver Islanders. Getting someone to talk about illegal activities is definitely not a walk in the park. Take, for example, a conversation that we had with Alice, an individual who graciously, yet very reservedly, told us about a pastime of hers. When you started microdosing, what were you doing at that time in your life? I don't think I should, I'm not going to say it, because I think it just reveals too much about my identity, because there was things going on in my life, but I just don't want to talk about my own life, because I think that somebody might be like, oh, that's so-and-so. Many an article have been written in confidence about Wall Street brokers and tech experts in Silicon Valley taking minute doses of psychedelics to aid their logical, calculated minds in some creative problem-solving. Alice learned of this tactic for psychedelic mindfulness by, quote, just Googling around. I just did a bunch of reading. There's so much reading to do. I don't even, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe I should have written down something specific, but just Google, like, LSE. The fact that the wealthiest and supposedly brightest minds of this era are using psychedelics to aid in their work indicates a turn in the collective opinion on what role drugs should play in our lives. With the change, we are seeing different conversations around this issue pop up, especially in open-minded communities like Victoria. Those conversations include questions like, what can we do to make sure that the substances that we are taking are safe? And how can we incorporate harm reduction practices to make sure that the controlled substances being sold on the street won't be lethal to those who choose to use them? As the war on drugs fades into ambiguity, Victorians have been taking the reins on their experimentation with mind-altering chemicals. In this episode, we explore stories of illicit substances from the point of view of Victorians. We'll join up with a needle pickup and harm reduction team, hear an audiographic of the fentanyl crisis in Victoria, and tumble down the rabbit hole of microdosing psychedelics. From CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria, I'm your host, Jordan Barron. This is Full Circle. Stay tuned. Our first story is about the little harm reduction group that could. It's without a doubt that Victoria is in the throes of a fatal crisis when it comes to controlled substances. Fentanyl, an extremely potent opioid similar to heroin, has been showing up in all sorts of drugs, causing overdoses and deaths for those whose drug is tainted with it. The most vulnerable of those users are those who use drugs intravenously. Solid, which is situated in the downtown core, built itself as a peer-run collective, aiming to spread knowledge and empower users to use as safely as possible. As part of their outreach program, a team of on-foot volunteers walks around a small radius, picking up used needles and providing clean supplies to anyone who asks for them. Coming up, CFUV correspondent Aviva is sent out with the outreach peer group in solid harm reduction. Um, there is this box over there. Me and this was Rabbit's first <laughs> first time out, and we're like, "Oh, we better check in the box because there might be something in there." And it was a little box about this big. And yeah. we open the lid, and uh, <laughs> this guy jumps out. Oh no! <laughs> Scared the hell out of us. 
Across from the downtown Victoria Police Department, a handful of volunteers gather inside a small office in the early hours of a weekday morning. These individuals take part in a needle pickup team that spans a few kilometers in each direction from the headquarters of Vancouver Island's peer-run harm reduction organization, SOLID. You're the boss. You okay. tell me what and there's, um, you know, Narcan, right? Yep. You know how to use them? Yep. Okay. There's, there's one there and one... Let's okay. say I'll have the least amount of experience with Narcan in the group because I've only done it once. I joined the pickup team during their route to find out more about the work that SOLID does for their community. Are we off? Yeah, believe it or not. <laughs> My name's Joni and I've been working at Solid for a year and um, five months, I think. Um, I have the bucket, the sharps container, the picker, the, um, in the knapsack I have um, syringes and cookers and waters and alcohol swabs and vitamin C and ties and bags and Brillo and, um, and pipes and a shard pipe Yep. <laughs> and an Arcan kit. Mm, at least one. <laughs> How often do you do your route? Um, I do it twice a week. I work at AIDS Vancouver Island okay. in the evening as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, I work about 30 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Same thing with harm reduction, getting those supplies. Yeah. Narcan training. Um, just uh, someone to listen, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Good morning. Solid has been in action on the streets of Victoria since 2003 and aids to provide support, education and advocacy to better the lives of people that use drugs. I'm Jack Phillips with two L's uh, from Solid Outreach. So what was um, the idea behind Solid and how did it come into formation? Well, to be honest, Jill, who just passed away July 18th, was our uh, longest standing member. She was our executive director and she was very big on nothing for us without us and everybody in this being equal to one another. And historically, like uh, Solid started out as as something that it's different today than when it started. And I think that has to do with a lot of the things Jill spoke most about stigma and the way it affects everything, whether it's criminal system, whether it's service delivery, whether it's doing this job. And um, years ago, it was more of a cleaning up of the neighborhood, like a way to cheaply make sure that places were clean so when other people came through the neighborhood, it, it looked better. Over the years, it's become 
more of an outreach system, like where we end up with a, a lot of peer mentor types, you know, like we're doing the volunteer route. And so it became much more of a, a social thing where we clean up along the route that we go on, you know, and we try to link people to, to other services and, and that. But yeah, it started out primarily as a street-based uh, needle exchange and uh, it's grown into a lot more over the last 10 or 12 years. How did you start um, with like the needle pickup service or how did Saul start with that? Oh man, that's been going for over a decade. It was a stop HIV, like pre- prevented diseases contract. Honestly, that's how that, that started out. And uh, I wasn't part of Solid 10 years ago. I, I used to uh, volunteer at AVI and that's where I got most of my experience that would give me job skills rather than street job skills and uh, I left for a paternity leave for a while and then Solid called me because they wanted to because they were doing a a volunteer drive and I just thought it was a cool opportunity because because I got to go do the street outreach you know and and try to do be helpful the way people had been helpful to me when I was down there so I just saw it as a, a, a great opportunity and I knew with the overdose crisis that unfortunately you know, crisis breeds opportunity. So I figured it was time to grab the bull by the horns and see who else wanted to, to come along and, and do more than just uh, needle sweeps and, and cleaning up a neighborhood. And But both are important, you know, both are important. There was a time when, like, I, I couldn't have worked for more than two hours, and, and that's what our, our street needle exchange is. It's a couple-hour shifts, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and a lot of our people have come up through that to... Uh, to do the work, you know, the full-time work that's available now, so. So it's kind of evolved a bit over time? It kind of has evolved over time, yeah. And and I guess it's it's been very organic because we we honestly just respond to whatever needs are, are current, you know, so. So you kind of provide a space for people to come as well as doing, like, a street outreach and then also connecting to our place and the other housing yeah well and a lot of other services as well like we do have as you see in my office i have large groups of people always coming in and out and uh that's because we have men's movie night we have aboriginal women's night we have pepsi women's night there's a million different groups and those are used more as a safe place you know for people to meet and talk about whatever is important to them and that's when sometimes you'll realize that um somebody needs help to get to the doctor let's say so that's a lot of the other services we do is we do what's called peer navigation which um for say like you 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 had problem with the ministry and and you didn't know the rules of of the ministry well i know the rules of the ministry so we go together and i teach you how to advocate for yourself by teaching you their rules and showing you how that's done and that way we don't have to farm out things to as many other agencies because we have a bit of an advocates network built up from some of the peer leaders here. Um, and does all those things that you're talking about, they run out of this exact space? Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> most of what we do is like, the, the office is obviously critical as a home base, but most of the actual work takes place in the field. I think that's the strength of being um uh, all frontline outreach everybody around here you know like I don't prepare for these interviews I just show up because you ask me things and I tell you what, what goes on that in that day and I think that's the strength of, of what we do is our close connection to people who will utilize services that people theorize that they will use mm-hmm. and it's always open door kind of thing 
of course, yeah, yeah, we're the most accepting people. I'm always like, do what you gotta do, you know, whatever it is, I'm good with it. You know, I'm not a judgy person. (laughs) So what's kind of the mandate of SOLID? The mandate? Um, It's just for users uh, or past users, for users making people aware that we are people too and um, Mm -hmm. I think that um, addiction is not a criminal activity it's more of a medical the more people know this then maybe there'll be more help for addiction and awareness anyways and I think this overdose crisis has kind of reminded people or got people to notice that you know what is going on and it's just not other people it's family it's their daughters it's their mothers it's their sisters and we are human and addicts are human and we're not um, it's, and it is a medical thing and uh, just to be aware and don't don't be ignorant and don't judge and it could be you or someone that you know and just don't look away right? yeah you've seen some improvement over the years oh yeah yeah, yeah. especially with the uh, the sites, the overdose prevention sites that are available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, less, less stuff. Well, I always, I always kind of describe it as, say somebody doesn't agree with it and think we're enabling or whatever. You know, I just say, well, I think of it as a, a, a I guess, a injection bar. Like instead of, you know, people drinking on the street, they drink in a bar, right? So instead of using on the street, they go into a bar and yeah. use use there, right? So <laughs> it's not on the street. The streets are cleaner and it's safer for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. There's no trauma with someone finding the person. Yeah. You know, if they OD'd and uh, oops, I'm gonna trip it. <laughs> and uh, it's just it's better in the long run for everybody around. I'd say. A lot of uh, Narcan kits were getting, I was finding needles everywhere. I didn't know why, because I didn't hear of an OD at that place. And they were using, they used the springs and the glass stems for smoking heroin, because it collects in the spring, and then they can clean the spring out if they're sick or something and need, need it. You just tap it out and then you can smoke it again. As part of an initiative to expand the organization to every major city on Vancouver Island, SOLID has invited a participant from Nanaimo to receive leadership training. I'm Zan XAN. Beauchamp. Beauchamp? <laughs> yeah, he's handsome field. The guys who do this job, like the guys who own this place, are so amazing. I'm going to follow them with a camera. And, and like all, the, all of them are like, oh, I don't want it to be about me. Mm-hmm. And like, it's not about you. Like, I'm not trying to stoke your ego or blow up your, wind up your skirt. These guys do such life-saving work that even they don't know how much they're doing. How did you hear about Solid? Um, well, I was in Nanaimo, and I was actually just going to pick up my methadone one day, and I ran into Jack, who's one of the bosses, and he just says, hey, we're having a little meeting over here up the street about what we do, and I went in there, and I'm like, holy crap, like, we... We, we need what you guys are, do, are talking about. 
So I wanted to get involved and I stayed in contact with him and uh, he ended up arranging for somebody to come pick me up and give me a ride down here to do some training. Oh, nice. So you're kind of training right now? Yeah, yeah. And how many times have you gone out? Um, I guess, I guess it's five days now. Nice. And it's been great. Like, it's been absolutely great. Like, these guys really are out here for, like, you know, a lot of people with addiction problems, they do, don't always do things for the right reasons, right? Because they need money to buy dope. Mm-hmm. But everybody who's in this group is um, out here because they care about their community. And they, and, like, they genuinely do. It's, it's so heartwarming. I, I want to spend a day with a camera following around the bosses and just showing what they do. Like, spending money out of their own pockets and, and taking their own personal time to just help people. Not for any other reason, but because they need it. And I guess everyone kind of takes their experiences, their life experiences, and puts it towards something. That's, that, right. that's kind of the same for you? Yeah, exactly. When I met Jack and he started, we started talking, I, I realized that, holy crap, you know, because sometimes you, you, know, you go through years of addiction and you think that maybe you might have wasted part of your life. But uh, when I started talking to Jack, I realized that, wow, I spent my life training for something that I think is, you know, valid and, 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 and relevant you know we have got such a huge problem with people dying on from opiate drugs and the only way to help in any way is to get roll up your sleeve and get in it right it's, it's messy and it's personal I love it so is there no um, like this going on in Nanaimo is there nothing well you know like I haven't really seen a lot of people out on the street at all like I know that people do it yeah. but like you can't couldn't rely on it right like yeah. I couldn't wake up on the street going okay I know that I'm gonna see these guys tomorrow yeah. morning yeah. so okay. and that's what, that's what we want that's yeah. what we want to do we want to know because yeah. it's hard right like the the, the overdose prevention sites are yeah. open at uh, 10 30 in the morning we're open all the time but you, but we're only open at this time <laughs> no no I'm being the one in the Nanaimo <laughs> yeah I know you can't even get in the door until 10 30 yeah. I've let people come up into my house uh, because my door is open at 9. Yeah. I've let people come up and shoot up in my room just because I didn't want them to do it alone on the street. Exactly. So many, that's the, that's the trick, right? I know a lot of people right? that aren't even shooting up anymore because of the... That's it. There, they're just um, they're smoking it, if anything. It costs yeah. you twice as much money, but you know you're not going to die. Yeah. Can you talk a bit about the fentanyl crisis or it, anything that you've been noting? Well, the fentanyl crisis, um, again, to be honest, I get tired of talking about this because of the fact that it has simple solutions that, for political reasons, I think, mostly are, are not engaged in, which is there's, there is an infiltrated drug supply. The public health emergency came two or three years after the fentanyl was actually here you know like if you talk to any user they, they're well aware that there was fentanyl around long before there was a public health emergency so i find it very sad that we could allow four to five thousand canadians to die over a period of years and that just nobody it will go to an easy answer like mm-hmm. there there's there's good drugs sitting in everybody's pharmacy <laughs> you know like people don't have a problem giving 
uh, say Adderall or methadone or, or other kinds of prescriptions like the to people I just don't understand why we don't move quickly to the next logical step which is if somebody has a, a substance use disorder we're actually can give them a prescription because it would be less cost to the system you know for people who don't agree with the philosophy that we're talking about currently we're paying approximately fifty thousand dollars a year for every opiate user like just in societal costs if we just gave them a prescription we would have that immediately in no courts no law enforcement no policing and just giving them a simple prescription and then they themselves would most likely improve their lives with um you know if you give them stability they will attain housing they will this is this isn't some new thing this is a well-proven fact in many other countries where legal drugs exist so that's what how i feel about the fentanyl crisis i you know so then we go to our place and then i usually write the stats there but hey i forgot the, so i'll just get a pen and write them down in my piece of paper and then fill it out after the group has done their rounds they meet at our place to eat chat and connect with friends. Some days I need it, but other days I just not in the mood. I'm part Scottish, I guess it's needed in me. <laughs> no, I love oatmeal, don't get me wrong, but. You ever meet Derek? He used to work there, but now he's like really high up in that Kool Aid. No. He came up with that, that uh, he was one of the people that came up with uh, that group called uh, Addiction as an Ally. What a smart thing that is. You know, because people choose something a big life event happens and they either kill themselves or yeah. they get up on something yeah so addiction really is an ally yeah. it's a thing that you that you choose instead of death that's you know yeah. the lesser evil right yeah one of them yeah <laughs> i think that addiction doesn't really have anything to do with the actual thing no it's like when you're a kid and your parents say no for you to do something yeah and you decide i'm going to do it anyway and you hide it that's, that's, I think that's like the... The addiction itself? That's the thing that causes... Because you know that everything happens... When you take a, a drug, it's not the drug that you're addicted to. It's the biochemical response that your brain has to it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's the biochemical response of hiding something from somebody who's an authority, authority figure. <laughs> I think that's what forms addiction. For more information on Solid Outreach, visit www.solidvictoria.org or call 250-298-9497. Thank you to Jack, Joni, Zan, Rabbit, and the Solid Needle Pickup Team for participating. Came up to the water, put my feet into it. My heels in Jasper felt the sand give an inch. All the people bathing. That was Solid Harm Reduction, a story curated by CFUV's production team. Coming up in a minute, we'll take a look at just how many people died in the last year from fentanyl related overdoses, and how many we may expect if the trend continues. That's next. Stay with us. With the deepest Support for Full Circle comes from Oak Bay Bikes, 
serving cyclists in Victoria for over 80 years. Are you curious about e-bikes? Check out the Oak Bay Bikes Demo On Demand program. At Oak Bay Bikes, E is for everyone. For more information, visit Oak Bay Bikes in Victoria or on the West Shore or online at oakbaybikes.com. From CFUV 101.9 FM, you're listening to Full Circle. I'm your host, Jordan Barron. Welcome back. In this episode, we are delving into illicit substances, the changing face of harm reduction, and how people use drugs in modern-day Victoria. Our next piece is our fentanyl audiographic. Now, we just heard a first-hand story about how fentanyl has been causing havoc in the lives of users and what peer outreach programs are doing to keep themselves safe, But if you look at the numbers of people dying at the hand of fentanyl, you can see that groups like SOLID need a lot of help in combating the fentanyl crisis. To explain the crisis, executive producer Max Collins created this audiographic that uses sound to explain just how many people have died and how many people we may see succumbing to fentanyl-related overdoses in the next year. Here is CFUV's fentanyl audiographic. Fentanyl is a powerful synthetic prescription opioid manufactured primarily for the use of cancer patients in severe pain. This drug, which can be up to 100 times more potent than morphine, has found its way into numerous headlines in the past two years as the province of British Columbia has declared a public health emergency involving accidental illicit substance overdoses where fentanyl has been detected. A hot topic over the last month, and that's fentanyl. A new product. Opioids. Record numbers of fentanyl-related deaths. As a result of the opioid crisis. Overdosed on fentanyl. The results have been shocking. In 2016, the number of illicit drug overdoses where fentanyl was detected increased by 113% from 2015. And within the first two months of 2017, The BC Coroner's Service has reported that already 61% of illicit drug overdoses have involved fentanyl-laced substances. Everywhere, it's in every type of drug we've been testing. But just how many deaths exactly have involved fentanyl? With statistics collected by the BC Coroner's Service, we have converted the data into sound. This heartbeat marks the passing of a month, and this heartbeat monitor blip marks 10 deaths involving fentanyl. First, let's take a look at the numbers in 2015, where 29% of illicit substance deaths involved fentanyl. If you didn't catch that, that was 151 people who died. Now, here are the numbers in 2016, where 62% of illicit substance deaths involved fentanyl. In that year, BC saw 575 fentanyl-related deaths. In the first two months of 2017, the BC Coroner's Service has seen a 99.05 increase in fentanyl-related illicit substance deaths from the first two months of 2016. If that increase continues into the year, this may be the data that British Columbia will be seeing for the year.
That's close to 1,000 people dying from fentanyl-related illicit drug overdose this year if the pattern of the first two months of 2017 continues. That means that we may see up to five times more people overdosing at the hand of fentanyl from what was reported in 2015. just finished listening to the Fentanyl Audiographic, a piece created by members of CFUV's production team. For our final story, we look at the new craze sweeping through high society businesses and tech blogs. Microdosing has taken the world by storm. It's the only thing that alternative news blogs and psychedelics forums can talk about right now. However, the trend is not only being practiced by corporate moguls and millionaire geniuses, Our special guest, Alice, whose name has been changed to protect her identity, is a normal Victoria citizen with a modest job and a quiet home life. When she got curious about ways to expand her mind, she began her quest to learn more on microdosing by finding information on Reddit, of all places. After microdosing LSD once, she got hooked. Not addicted, per se, as LSD isn't addictive, but hooked to occasionally indulging in a minute amount of psychedelics. To enlighten us all with her adventure, this is Alice down the rabbit hole. I remember um, the room started spinning and I had one poster on my wall and it was a bunch of pictures of flowers, which was like a perfect thing. And then I was looking at that and they all started jumping and dancing around, just as you would see in any movie you've seen where someone does acid. Um, but what I felt within me, like really deep within me, that really, I think, um, got me and what what made me feel like it was such a precious experience was that I looked outside and I saw a tree <laughs> and it, it was just the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen and I'll always remember that moment because there was this one tree outside I don't know what kind of tree it is I'm not very good at naming types of trees but um it was just the most sweet delicate wonderful just powerful thing um, for me to look at the trees and I went for a little walk around the neighborhood which was scary because like some little kid walked behind me and I thought they were going to murder me but I made it around okay and I uh, and I just looked at the trees and I just thought how the fuck have I walked around and not really appreciated nature for like most of my life like I've had my moments of appreciating nature but like I didn't I had lost something um, somewhere along Somewhere along the way of my life, I had lost my appreciation of nature, and I just wanted that back. I think doing LSD makes you into a better person. I think it makes you more compassionate and also more cautious and more scared, which you need to in this world if you are compassionate you need to be and also patient you need to be cautious and patient and scared because um it's a harsh and cruel world but i think it helps you live a more compassionate life if you do it in the right setting and uh you couldn't like i couldn't do more than a a quarter hit of acid and and go to work without being too scared (laughs) 
My name is Alice. I microdose acid sometimes. I like to experiment and it's, I feel like if I couldn't be curious and experiment and discover new things then I wouldn't be happy with myself. It's something I always try to do, not just with this, but in everything in my life. And I just think it's a good thing to do, really. <laughs> so for the sake of experimentalism and for the sake of absurdity and ridiculousness, I, I find that a good reason to do something. And that's honestly why I did it. Like I say, I'm just, just bumbling along. <laughs> I'm not a reckless person at all. I'm probably the least reckless person you will ever meet. <laughs> I had had, well, does we count as a drug now? Mushrooms before, <laughs> um, but that was it. I had, I've always promised to myself that I'll only experiment with um, weed, mushrooms, LSD, like psychedelics, because I, I think that other drugs such as like cocaine and stuff um, can do really scary and really dark, bad, things to people. One day I was just Googling away, Googling around. I had been hearing about um, microdosing and I had never done such a small amount before of, um, of acid. So I thought um, I um, had, I was just um, had a day off work. I, I had been doing some reading. There was quite a few people that had just tried it for a day and they just they had a great they had a great experience with it so I thought you know what I'll do it and I did it for one day and I had the day off and I just ended up having a sweet day because I just called on my friends I went for a walk with one of my friends then after I walked went for a walk with them I went for a walk with another friend and I had some really good talks with them and I learned a lot more about their lives than I had ever learned before and um, it just opened me up to the whole world around me and uh, you know, when in moments I may have otherwise acted out of fear or like not done something because maybe something bad would happen. I didn't really live that way. I lived more um, acting out of hope and like excitement and curiosity. Um, and I feel like it not only benefited me, but it benefited everyone around me. Can you tell me what it felt like to come down that day? Um, it was it was great because I was just like, oh, I had a good day. It wasn't like, oh no, I'm back into reality. It was just like, sweet. I feel sort of a glow. There's sort of an afterglow that you just feel like, I had a great day yesterday. And you're like proud of the things you did. And you're like, so-and-so really opened up to me about their sh That was a really good talk we had. And I went for a great walk. Um, and just having known that you did all this just the fact that you did a bunch of great stuff it just it puts you in a good mood the next day can you explain to me the difference that you felt between doing a quote-unquote regular or noticeable dose of lsd versus doing a microdose um these tests are completely different because one like if you would do a normal dose you cannot like, you're not you. You're not, you don't know that yourself exists anymore. It's more powerful, and I think you get deeper into your own psyche that way. 
And I think it's really healthy to do, again, only if you have the right setting, which is the problem. Mm -hmm. um, but a microdose, you can just you can just do the, all the normal things, but you um, if you overshoot it and you do a little bit too much, then you'll be super excited about everything, but you'll also get really like paranoid. So be really careful with that because that's awful. But if you just do a really, really smaller amount, then um, you're just a little bit more, you're a little bit more curious about people. You're a little more inquisitive. Um, you're like, you care more about people and you empathize more with people. And I think Victoria is a really safe place to do it because it's already sort of um, that kind of city, if that makes sense. It's like a little bit more open-minded. It's like a little bit more relaxed, like stop and smell the flowers kind of city. So um, I feel very fortunate to live here and be able, um, if I if I wish to do a microdose and feel safe. I don't think I could do it in, I mean, I don't think anyone could do it in like most parts of the world. So it may sound a little dramatic, but it takes away my sense of self. So I am able to forget the fact that I exist like right now, if I were on a microdose and I would be looking at your face, I wouldn't really think, oh, we're talking and I wonder what she thinks about me and I wonder if I sound stupid, like I'm thinking right now. I would look into your eyes and I would think, like, she is a beautiful human being there and um, I hope that I'm providing something to her that can help her make a cool piece for her art. So I wouldn't think about how things will serve me. I would only think about how it will serve um, people around me and nature and stuff. I think you have to be really careful with that, um, which I am, because the world is a dark and place and you don't want to make yourself too vulnerable. But um, I think if you're careful with it, it can be an excellent tool. How has your life changed since you began microdosing? I mean, I have no idea. I don't know what it would have been like before. So, um, but I think it's helped my relationships, and I think it's helped most of all my relationship with nature because now I go for a lot of walks by myself in nature, and I find it. Like, you can say that this sounds like hippie or whatever, but, like, I find it very healing, and I find it to be the most relaxing, wonderful thing. And I can't believe that before before this, I wasn't doing that. And that's regardless of whether I'm on a microdose, that since I tried doing acid, I really feel I can find a sense of calm in nature that I otherwise just wouldn't have understood was available to me. Well. After this, I shall think nothing of, fall of falling downstairs. Strangely, from having taken away my, like, ego at times, I also find myself to be a more arrogant person than I was. Because I, I, was, I was never very arrogant. And I don't say arrogant as a negative word. Um, but it's kind of affirmed me in the beliefs that I had and made me think like I thought like you know I thought that nature was really important but now I know like I know that all this time I was right and it's affirming what I already knew in myself so sometimes I have less patience for um like pettiness in other people 
which again that's probably not negative but sometimes I can I think be like colder towards people than I would have at other times when when I find them to be being shallow just because I feel like I'm a little wiser <laughs> now so um yeah that's just me being now I, basically I just think I'm really cool but um yeah it sounds like it'd be a little bit more difficult to socialize on like a on a shallow level it is more difficult to socialize on a shallow level you just can't be bothered with it like oh how are you like when people say something to you like i'll use an example working as a cashier because everyone's worked as a cashier and that's an easy example um you know when someone comes up to you and and they say like oh how's it going and then you're like oh it's good and then they're like okay well i'd like and it's like they just said it without even giving a fuck and they don't give a fuck about you you can you can get more annoyed about those things because it's like why the fuck? What? Why do people even bother with all these stupid little things that they say? Because you forget sort of how off in their head um, other people can be because you're not off in your head. You're right there. So then you're like, how the fuck can they be such a moron? But then you have to realize, well, I'm lucky that I'm on acid right now. So that's why, that's why I notice that they're being a moron. But if I wasn't, I would just be like, I probably wouldn't even notice. How do the people in your life react, or how have they react when you when they find out that you microdose? Um, nobody, not many people know, and I want to keep it that way because, um, whoever is microdosing out there is obviously keeping it secret, except for me. So I'm spoiling it for everyone, maybe. <laughs> but um, I feel like there's a reason that that people keep it secret if they do, and I think that's because it's illegal, and you have to be careful because you can get in really bad trouble. At the same time, I really believe in honesty and I really believe that if I feel truly that I have something that could benefit other people, that I should share it honestly with them. And I sincerely hope that I'm doing the right thing by telling you this. I just want to be clear that I'm still confused as to whether or not it's a good idea. And I don't really know what I'm saying, so I don't want anyone to take it. Uh, I just want to be, yeah, I just want to be honest about that. And... Um, also that you have to you have to be careful chasing after these feelings of like joy and happiness that you can get even if it's from nature and even if it's from like connecting with your friends um i think anytime you're like chasing after um a feeling you have to be careful if that makes sense well i'll never know anything i don't know anything ever and i think everyone should feel that they don't know anything about anything for their whole life until they die, even after they die. Thank you to Alice for participating. That last piece, Alice Down the Rabbit Hole, was created by members of CFUV's production team. If you enjoyed our program, please subscribe, rate, and leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to hear more stories like these, head over to cfuvpodcasts.com or soundcloud.com slash cfuv. Our intro is composed and performed by Poddington Bear. The outro for this episode is Gender, written and composed by Painted Fruit. We also heard songs by Aiden Knight and Naked Chillin', all great bands from Victoria. Our producers for this episode, in no particular order, are myself, Miles Sauer, 
and Bernice Thomas, Aviva Lassard, and Max Collins. This program is created by CFUV's podcasting production team. If you want to be a part of creating high-quality spoken word programming, head to cfuv.ca to find out more. Full Circle is made possible with the generous support from Oak Bay Bicycles and the Community Radio Fund of Canada. I'm your host, Jordan Barron. This is Full Circle. Thanks for listening. Support for Full Circle comes from Oak Bay Bikes. Proudly serving the cyclists among UVic students and faculty since 1963. Visit Oak Bay Bikes in Victoria or on the West Shore or online at oakbaybikes.com.